You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church of Savannah. This is a sermon from our series, A Better Way. If you would like to find out more information about our church, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. So uh, if, you're, if you're new, if this is your first Sunday and you're visiting, glad you're here. You, you picked a doozy. You may not come back. Uh, you probably have no clue. You're going to know in a minute. Um, so typically what we do as a church is we study books of the Bible. So I'll open, you know, we'll study book of Galatians or book of Timothy, whatever. And we'll start at chapter one or work our way through the chapter six or whatever it is. And we'll finish it in a couple months. That's kind of what we do typically. But once in a while there is a, there's such a significant topic that's just kind of relevant to where we're at as a culture or where we're at as a church that needs a little bit more than one week. And so we started about three or four weeks ago. I don't know, with the hurricane, I can't remember, in the middle. Although I said the gentle breeze that hit Savannah. But uh, so, so it's been three or four weeks. But we started a series called A Better Way. And really the heart of this series is we want to talk about redeeming a biblical sexuality. All right, that, that's what we've been talking about. And if you're shocked, right, that we're actually talking about that in church, you're not alone. Because most of us who grew up in church... The only thing we heard about sex was bad. Bad, 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 bad. Maybe a little STDs. Bad, bad, bad. <laughs> and then at the end of that caveat, and save it for your, the one you love, right? So it's bad, bad, bad. And I love this person so much, I'm going to save it for them because it's so bad. And that's, the, that's what the church has been saying, right? Okay. Or the, on the other side of the spectrum, then, you have the culture that has made Sexuality, the, the epitome of everything. It's the most important thing. And so you got all these crazy voices. And so what we, we wanted to do, because there's confusion and frustration and all those things, is we wanted to get some clarity. This is a discipleship issue for us. This is a follower of Jesus issue. This is not something that I'm trying to be sensationalized or whatever, right? This is a, what, we want to follow our, all, our Jesus in all areas of our life. Because he has come to give us life and life abundantly. And that even means in this area of our intimacy and sexuality, right? And so that's the heart behind this series. And we do not want to be the typical church that just gets mad. Look how bad it is. Right? Madonna. Oh, that was the 80s. Now it's, you know, Miley Cyrus. There'll be another one in the next generation, right? And we just get mad and frustrated and we get on Facebook and talk about how bad that is and how bad, and then we, get, and then we just get into politics after that. So we just kind of, and you just need to disengage whoever you are from that. We don't want to be louder as a church, but what we want to do is be clearer. We want some clarity on this issue so that we have a voice, so that we have something powerful to say. And it makes sense. And, and this, this week specifically, as we kind of talk about the perfect purpose of sex, is, is aimed at married couples. But let me just tell you, I actually, actually, after thinking about first service and thinking about this past week, for if you were single in high school, even middle school, if you're in here, it may, this, this may be more important even for you because the voices of the culture that are so loud and, and, and you're hearing all these things and you need to have clarity, right? So that's where we're going. Um, when we started a couple weeks ago, we talked about the fact that God is good, that God's design is good, and even though it feels counterintuitive, that actually real freedom is found in putting yourself under a th the authority of God. That doesn't make any sense to an American, 
But what we, what we see, and I've seen this in experience, and I've lived it, is that when you live the way you want, that actually leads to slavery. When you put yourself under Jesus, who says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, who says, I've come to give life abundantly, you actually find freedom and joy, right? Counterintuitive, just like a lot of things in, in Christianity where you want to be the greatest, you got to be the least. You want to you get, you got to give. And so it's that same idea. So we started there, and then we talked about last two weeks ago that, that sex was created good and powerful, First good, then powerful. Because of the fall of man, because we rebelled against God, now sex is still powerful, but it's not always good. There's a potential for good and a potential for harm. And so the, the, the practical application that, that Jesus is giving us is flee immorality, right? To flee it, because when you don't, you harm yourself, but you also grieve the spirit of Christ who lives in Christians. So we're to control our bodies in honor, and it's not that God is down on fun or pleasure because he's the one who designed us, but he is trying to lead us to pleasure without destroying ourselves. And so he's given us instruction and, and, and doesn't want us to damage our soul or our spouse and wounding a bunch of people on the way. Today, we're going to talk really about why did God create this thing called sex? What are his expectations? I know you're like, I can't believe we're talking about this in church. I, I'm sorry. You know, we... we this is the one place we should, because I can tell you the seventh grade football bus is talking about it. Who would you rather talk about it, me or the seventh graders, okay? So let's, we want, what we want to do is get our expectations from, from God. Because here's what happens, okay? If your expectations don't line up with actuality, what happens? Frustration, right? If expectations and reality don't line up, there is frustration. So I will admit, I'm going to eat humble pie today. I believed that the Braves would not win the NL East. That was my expectation. I do know that they won't make it out of the first round of the playoffs. Uh, okay? But that's another story. I'll, give, I'll celebrate my Super Bowl for another couple of years. I'm good. I got no, you know, I'm fine. Right? So don't, don't mourn for me. Don't cry for me, Argentina. Okay? I'm good. But, but see, a couple weeks ago, so funny. So we're at the office in Talavo. I love Talavo, man. He's, my, he's awesome. But he thought that Carolina was going to beat Georgia. He really did. He even went to the game. And so there was his expectations. And his expectations did not meet reality. And so he came back, what? Frustrated. He's texting me. We are, this is horrible. This is horrible. He actually couldn't do the greeting first service because he's so mourning. Okay? So we had to get pain up here. All right, so kind of kidding. But what happened? Expectations didn't meet reality leads to frustration. That happens. Right? And so what we want to have is clarity on the expectation that God has given us. Right? And, and we get them from everywhere. Right? Expectations on romance and, and sexuality, we get them from television, from friends, from music, seventh grade bus. I remember sixth grade, very vividly. Sixth grade, 12 years old. Um, I'm starting to notice girls. They're not noticing me. That I'm noticing. I'm like three foot seven at the time. So, you know. <laughs> Okay. They're like, hey, look at that little guy. You know, is he in third grade? No, I'm in, you know, but whatever. Right? So, <laughs> so anyway, but there was a certain movie that came out. It's hugely impactful on my, on my soul and my view of romance. And it started off Kenny Loggins. All right, some of you know where I'm going with this. Kenny Loggins, you get to, you know, afterburners, and all of a sudden, highway to, right? Top Gun, baby, right? Top Gun. And my view of romance when I'm 12 years old is shaped highly by Tom Cruise. And all you had to do is get you a leather jacket. <laughs> all right? 
uh, get you some aviators. Some of, some of you still wear them. You, you know, you're thinking you're cool. Uh, learn the lyrics to You've Lost That Loving Feeling, The Righteous Brothers, and maybe play some beach volleyball without a shirt on, all right? And that was romance. I mean, how many leather jackets were sold in 1986? I had one. Anybody else? Anybody, anybody honest? There we go. I got a brother who's honest, all right? Because of that, that was my view of romance just shaped by Tom Cruise. False, right? Maybe you get yours from Disney, right? There's a princess. She meets a guy who can sing in the woods. <laughs> she falls asleep. Next thing she knows, he's kissing her. And they live happily ever after. And you're like, that's the way it's going to be. I'm going to go to Georgia, fall asleep in biology, wake up married. I'm happy, right? I don't know. <laughs> but, but wherever you get your view of romance and and even sexuality, we want to be clear on what God has said, right? That's what we want, right? And so what we're going to do is I'm going to give three expectations, just three, God's expectations for the physical relationship that he has designed, right? Three reasons why he created it for us to enjoy, uh, and then hopefully get, kind of get to the end and talk practically about some things, right? Um, and, and so three things, and, and I'm going to go through the first one really quick because it's the obvious, right? But the first expectation, God creates sex, why? Number one, very obvious, procreation, Right? All right, it's just, that's pretty obvious. Uh, it's health class, birds and the bees, seventh grade, whatever. But he commands in Genesis several times, what? He creates man in his own image. In the image of God, he creates them, male and female who creates them. And then he gives them a command. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. And the idea there is, is it's not just have as many kids as you possibly can. All right, that's not, that's not the heart of it. The heart is you are naturally as a family to reproduce, and then you are to create Christ followers. You're to multiply and propagate the name of Jesus to the next generation, who will let him take it to the next generation, to the, take it to the next generation. And the reason this has to be true is because some of us can't have kids, right? And, and, and that's painful, and God knows that. But there is still a way to fulfill the multiplication mandate, even if God has not blessed you with kids. Kids are a blessing. I got four. They're awesome. They're expensive, but they're awesome. <laughs> but if you don't have them, here's another where expectations are we're going to have kids, and then we don't have kids. And what is our frustration? So we've got to come back to what is the ultimate purpose? Even if God doesn't bless you with kids, there's opportunities to foster and adopt and, and, and serve the next generation. Come serve in neighbors like you saw earlier or, or Go volunteer somewhere, love on the next generation, and try to win them to Jesus. That's the heart, ultimately, of it. But that's, a, that's an obvious one, right? It's, it's kids. And I, I'll be honest, when I do premarital counseling, and we cover, we cover this a little bit, one of the purposes, not the only purpose of marriage, is have children. If a couple comes in to me and says, we're going to get married, but we just never want kids. Not we're not able to. Not, we're, just, we're 23, we just want to do our own thing. I, I probably won't marry them. Because that's one of the purposes. I'm not saying you have to have kids on honeymoon. But it's one of the purposes of marriage is to have children. If you just want to, you know, go be, you know, bunk buddies or something like that across Europe, whatever. I'm not going to endorse that, but I'm not going to marry if you're like, I don't want kids. Because it's God's blessing. That's what he says. It's part of the, part of the marriage uh, covenant. It's part of the purpose of why he designed it, right? So first one, procreation. That's obvious, right? Here's expectation number two, though. is recreation, right? And what I mean by that is, is pleasure. And, and here's the thing. If we leave it at procreation, which is what the church did for about 700 years in the Middle Ages, oh, we'll just tolerate it. Then we, that leads to this view that God is boring, God is bad, God is down on fun, God is this. That's not, that's not God, right? That's like going to the Golden Crowd, the ice cream buffet. 
right? You got all these great options. You got the gummy worms and the Reese's Pieces and, you know, chocolate sauce, caramel, all these things. And you go up and you just get a bowl of, of vanilla ice cream. You're like, I got mine. You're missing out on the point. There's like all these other treats and delights. Go get some gummy worms, y'all, and some M&Ms, right? That, that procreation's one piece. Recreation is another. What does it say about God? He designed your body for pleasure. He's the one who came up with the physiology and the biology and created you to enjoy this. It's his deal. They were naked and not ashamed. He wired you up for it, right? That's, that's his idea, right? And we need to understand it. Now, let's be honest. Once there is procreation, recreation is challenging, all right? We, I mean, that's, that's the reality for those who have children. They know that. All right? Some of you are like, what does that mean? You, you don't have kids. That's why you don't know. <laughs> okay? But God is for your pleasure in this. He has designed you for this. And he commands it. He actually commands it. Oh, I don't know about that. Well, let me show you. Proverbs chapter 5. This is Solomon speaking to his son, giving him marriage advice. He tells him, let your fountain be blessed. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Lovely dear, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. He is not talking about having grandbabies. He's not like, we need grandkids, son. Get going. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, enjoy your bride. Delight in her. Be intoxicated. Listen to the language. It's, it's in the Song of Solomon. Right? When Solomon reflecting on his bride, he says, I come to my garden, my sister, my bride, I gathered my myrrh with spice. I ate my honeycomb. That's not cereal. It's just metaphorical. I, and with my honey, I drank my wine with my milk. Eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. I know it's poetic, but the idea there is enjoy your bride. Celebrate your husband physically. It's commanded. He's not talking about science. Right? It, God is for your pleasure in this area. He is. I know that's hard for some of us who have a legalistic, just harsh view of God background, but he is for you. Think about this. The Bible is made up of 66 different books, right? Historical, poetic, all these different books. There's, he's, the Bible speaks a lot about prayer, tons about prayer, right? But there's not one book devoted to prayer completely in the whole Bible. The Bible speaks a lot about money, but there's not one book completely devoted to money in the scripture. Numbers is not about money, all right? It's about something else. Okay. Uh, he speaks a lot about heaven. He speaks a lot about hell. There's not one book devoted completely to heaven and hell. There is one book, however, completely devoted to the romantic love between a husband and his wife called the Song of Solomon. And it's so romantic that, that in the Jewish culture, the Jewish boys were not allowed to read this book until they turned 13 because that's when they were bar mitzvah. They were considered an adult and they're considered marriable, which I have a 13-year-old. That is scary. <laughs> right, he's playing with Legos still. Okay. <laughs> Go get your wife some Legos. I don't know. Yeah, but, but the idea, it's because the book was just so blatantly clear. It, it was so clear that in the Middle Ages, that they, they, they was, because of their view on, on sexuality was only for procreation, they had, to, they had to symbolize it. Oh, this is Jesus in his church. That's what they, that's what they would say. So it was, oh, the two, her two breasts are like this. That's the word and the spirit. I'm like, no, no, that's not the word and the spirit. You're ruining the Bible. That's what it, he says, right? But it, that's because they had a hard time with that. And so some of us. But God is for you in this area, right? He designed it for your pleasure. 
And that's why we cannot say it's bad, 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 bad. Save it for the one you love. What we need to say is it's bad in this context for you right now because it's not safe, but it's always good. God created it good. It's a good design. It's powerful. It's good. It's just good in the right context. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But that's where we have to be, right? So there's procreation, there's recreation. And here's the third. And this is the one I want to zoom in on, right? Because we'll spend some time here. Is that, and it fosters marital intimacy. And I use that, those words very carefully. When we talk about intimacy, what we're saying is, and, and here, here's a kind of quick definition, the closeness of souls. Intimacy is the closeness of souls. In fact, one of the books I'm going to recommend that some of you guys grab is, is called The Mingling of Souls by Matt Chandler and his wife. And, and it's the same idea that there is a, a weaving of souls, that there is a two becoming one. Like intimacy is critical for marriage, right? It's part of why we get married so that we're not, you know, brother and sister, maid and butler. We're not, you know, besties just living in the same house. That there is a deeper intimacy and that intimacy has to be cultivated and fostered. And God has given the sexual relationship between husband and wife to be a facilitator, a fosterer of intimacy. And marriage is the context in which that intimacy thrives. The covenant that says, I'm in for the long haul. We're not going anywhere. Death do us part. That's where intimacy thrives. That's where it's meant to thrive. And so in Genesis 2, again, famous. We looked at this passage a ton. It's probably one of the top three or four most important verses, in my opinion, in the whole scripture, because it's repeated over and over. He says, a, fa- a man leaves his father and mother and holds fast to his wife. And this is for us to know, learn, because remember, Adam and Eve at this point don't have a father and mother. He's created out of the dirt. She's created out of his side. So he's teaching us. A man leaves his father and mother. And what does he do? He holds fast. The old King James. He cleaves to his wife. And they become one flesh. They're, it's deeper than just physical. It's a spiritual, even a, a, an emotional and deep soul connection. Right? This is why we looked at two weeks ago. He says, flee immorality. You cannot join Corinthian church yourself to a prostitute. Why? Because you're connecting to that prostitute on a soul level. And because you're connected to Jesus in the soul level, you're bringing Jesus into that. He says, you cannot do that. It's, it's not just a physical transaction. It is created to connect at the deepest possible level. It is that powerful and that beautiful. That is the design. And it is only safe inside of that covenant that marriage relationship. And the marriage relationship is supposed to picture many things, Jesus and his church. But there's also something about marriage that pictures the oneness and intimacy of the triune God. One God, three distinct persons, constantly in communication and intimate fellowship, right? On a level that's deeper than just the skin, because Jesus is the only one that actually physically has a body. The Father doesn't have a body. The Spirit doesn't have a body. But yet they're able to connect on a deep, deep level beyond the skin. And what God did making us in his image is he created something for us to get to a level that connects even deeper than the skin. There is a skin connection, but it's also deeper. And it's made to reflect the intimacy of the Godhead that is completely committed to one another in marriage. And y'all, it is powerful. This is why people walk around wounded because it's so powerful, right? It is only safe in this context, just like fire. My family loves a fire, right? They're always like, it's like 72 degrees out. They'll be like, hey, can we start a fire? I'm like, Fine, we'll start our fire. Fortunately, it's a gas fireplace, so we just go click, you know, little light the lighter, and oh, that beautiful, right? But here's the thing about fire in my fireplace. It's beautiful, it's warm, gives some heat, gives some light, it just gives great atmosphere, right? All those things. Pretty to look at, but it's safe. Why? Because it's in that fireplace. It's made for that fireplace. I take that same fire 
and I put it in the middle of the living room. All right? Okay, it's still hot, and it's still bright, and it's pretty as I'm running away. <laughs> but it's no longer safe because it doesn't have that protection. See, when we say, oh, such bad, 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 you can't tell a 16-year-old that sex is not pleasurable. It is. It's just not, right now, you can't handle that because that level of intimacy, you just can't, I know you think you can because everyone on TV and all your friends, but you can't handle the, the depth of what that's doing to your soul. You just don't know it yet. You will when you're 26, maybe 36. And that's, it's not that it's bad. It's just not, re, it's not good for you right now because here's where it's designed. Right? The order is significant. He leaves his singleness aside. He clings to his wife. And then he weaves. Leave, cleave, then weave. And in, our, in the chaos of our culture, we flip the order. We start weaving. And then we cleave to our expectations. And then we leave our options open. Well, if, if something doesn't go my way, then, I, then I'm out. We lead with intimacy and no commitment. And it's leaving people wounded all over the place. We've treated what God has created is powerful and good as just a physical transaction, a swipe right or swipe left. And if you don't believe me, I did a lot of research in the month of July. I read a lot of stuff, listened to a lot of podcasts, all these things. And, and one of the articles I came across after listening to a sermon um, was this article in USA Today. And I, I, I took a picture of it and put it on here so you believe, it, believe me. This is a USA Today article last year. You can look at the date. I think it's like last February. Sleeping together, this is for millennials. They surveyed millennials, okay? And I'm not bashing millennials. I'm just saying this is what's out there. Sleeping together before a first date is A-okay, but cracked phones are a put-off. And you go through the article, and what you read is it is very common for, for millennials to sleep together before they actually go on a date because the sleeping together is actually an interview for the date. So they lead with the most intimate part, and then they actually try to get to know you. Hey, what's your major? How would your parents like? If we're going to get to the date, we're going to have to get intimate for... And it's... it's they don't see sex as intimacy anymore. Intimacy is getting to know you. And it's like, no wonder we're walking wounded. And it goes on to say, it's okay to have sex. But if the guy's got a cracked phone, he's, oh, he ain't going out with him again because, man, he doesn't take care of his phone. It's just like, man, things have changed in 20 years, right? And I don't say that to bash. I just say that young folks, singles, college, high school, this is the battle you're fighting. I get it. I, I so get it. I don't envy you, but I get it. And what you need to understand is you need to, as best as you can, drown out the voice that is shouting in your ear and know that your God is for your joy and for your pleasure in this area. He's created you for this intimacy. He is not the fun police. And we're going to talk about managing intimacy with singles and dating in a couple weeks, so we'll go there. But, but know this, when you, when you go outside of the boundaries that God's given. It's a law of diminishing returns. It just is. It will be pleasurable for a season, of course. But in the end, what you are created for is not just physical. It's deeper than that. It's an intimacy that only can be filled with God. And so you're going to find it wanting and wanting and wanting. How do you think you go from a guy who's just looking at a little bit of pornography to someone who's taking pictures of himself and, and getting arrested at some hotel and some sting? It's not overnight. It's because this is wanting and wanting, and it gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. It's a slow deal, but it happens. And what your soul is craving is not the physical, it's ultimately the spiritual connection. It's intimacy, right? That's what you're longing for. And, and, and the sexual revolution has not helped our culture. Just do the research. The, if, if my research is, is correct in my reading, it's women and children that are getting the brunt of all this. I mean, even in the Me Too in movement, 
It's, it's 95% women, isn't it? I mean, sex trafficking is not, is not helping women and, and, and teenagers. I read this this morning as I was reading the news that Georgia is number six in the country for sex trafficking. And Savannah is a hotbed, apparently. That's not helpful. That's not freedom. That's not the abundant life. This is where it leads, right? And so God is for you. Is something broken about that. He has a better way. And, and next week, Clint's going to come up, and he's got a challenging topic. He's going to talk about healing and, and, and restoration. And you can pray for him this week as he prepares. Because, but that's huge for us. It's going to be huge, right, as he kind of walks through that with us. But this is why God has given clear boundaries, not to limit you, but to help you thrive. I know that's counterintuitive. But let me give you an example of why it's not. Let me show you a picture. All right. This is the Colorado River. I didn't, I didn't take this. This is Google, all right, just so you know. Um, this is the Colorado River. Some of you have rafted on it and know that it's like kind of crazy, and you're like, ah, you know, you have level four, level five rapids, whatever. What makes this river have these kind of intensities, those little rapids, this movement, is what? It's the Grand Canyon. It's the boundaries. The boundaries actually give the river intensity. If you take the boundaries out, what do you have? You have a lake. You have no movement. It just sits there, right? It's the actual the boundaries that force the water down that give it the intensity. And that's the same with marriage. It's the boundaries of marriage that give someone the intensity to... This is why, you know, someone goes, oh, you expect me to live with someone for 30, 40 years and be with the same person? Yes. And here's why. Because those boundaries, the pouring out of my intensity on one person, actually, I know you, we think, oh, that's not exciting. That actually brings more joy and more excitement because there's a depth of intimacy that I can experience over 30, 40 years, which is why people can experience great pleasure well into their 40, 50 years of marriage because there's a depth there that you can't experience by swiping right and swiping left. And that's what God is for you. That's where true satisfaction is, despite what the culture is going to tell you. That's what you were designed for, right? Connecting on that level, right? And so it's safe, young adults, singles, please hear me. I'm not down on fun, I'm not, but God is wanting to protect you and give you great joy in this area in your life. If you'll trust him. The thief comes to destroy and steal, but I have come to give life and life abundant, is what Jesus says. You can trust the better way of the one who created this for you. And this, again, why we have to be, we can't say bad, 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 Oh, good. Go enjoy it with your wife. No, no. Good, good, good. Just right context. We need to guard that, right? Let me talk practically, just, you know, procreation, recreation, intimacy. Let's talk practically speaking, just how we can foster intimacy in our relationships. And this is for singles. This is for marriage. This is for everything, right? Because I just, I want to at least be thinking big picture, Right? Uh, even from scripture, what does it look like to be romantic? What does it look like to facilitate intimacy in marriage, right? Because that's what we want. And look, all of us have failed. All of us have, have weakness and, and need. This is not like, a, oh, I'm going to leave church today and all of a sudden I'm going to be Don Juan Christian, right? We're not talking that. But we do want to take steps of, of, uh, of growth here. And, and we, look, I got some resources down here, just, just a heads up. And I got more, we got plenty of resources when it comes to marriage, intimacy. Um, you know, this is a good little read. It's kind of on my level. It's called When Sinners Say I Do. This is just a marriage book. It's a general marriage book. But it's a helpful little book. Um, Matt Chandler's Mingling of Souls. If you're going to read only one, I would read this one because it talks about romance, but it also talks about marriage. It's a great read for you and your husband or maybe your community group. I don't know. Uh, he's actually got videos that go along with it if you want it. 
If you're a guy like me and you just are like, I don't, I don't read a lot besides ESPN.com. All right, this is the book for you. It's only like it's one of these cardboard books. It's like 130 pages, but it's, you can read this in an hour. It's called Sex, Romance, and the Glory of God by C.J. Mahaney. Great little read. In fact, Carolyn Mahaney, his wife, has a, uh, a chapter or two in the back that's addressed specifically to ladies. He writes to both men and women. This, this is worth your while, man. This is, you know, bathroom book or car book. When you're sitting in traffic on Duran, you can read a chapter in like five minutes, right? You know, whatever. Don't do it while you're driving. Um, and then uh, here's a great one when it talks about communication in marriage, love and respect. And it kind of, it's, it's not really about intimacy as much as communication, but communication leads to intimacy. And, and this is just a real fun read. Um, we've done the video series before. There's more resources than that. Piper's got a book on the, on the, on the glory of God and, and sex. Um, it's a little deep for me. Uh, anything with Piper usually is. Uh, but uh, it's, if you're like that guy that's like, yeah, I love me some Piper, that's a good read for you too. So, but we want to help you and point you to resources. So there's plenty out there. But let me give you just some practical things for us. So let me first, just a broad stroke, everybody. Men, women, children, everything. Here, here's number one. This is, this is pretty important. Is recognize that we are all playing on different playbooks. Right? There's a different playbook going on here. And here, let me give you a perfect example of this. All right? When I said intimacy this morning, every man in the room thought about one thing, sex. All right? Every woman, when I said intimacy, thought about closeness. And all the men are like, no, that's not true, honey. I, didn't, I thought closeness too. You are a liar. <laughs> I'm a, I, do not listen to your husband on this one. I'm telling you, the way, and, it, and this is why I tell you that, it's not bad. It's the way you are wired up. And it, once, it, it, as soon as you recognize that and are honest with your spouse on these things, the better you can have relationship and communication and intimacy. The way man is wired up, he, he, it's just part of the creation. He came out of what? The dirt. So he is a, he's created corresponding to dirt. He's a man of action, about pursuit. She was created out of his side. She is connected relationally. He is connected action-oriented. And it's good. It's different, but it's good. And what you see there is, is that sex then is a pathway to intimacy for him. And for her, it's the fruit of intimacy. And so this is why, ladies, your husband comes home, smiles at you, kind of pats you on the backside. He smiles at you. And you're like, you get away from me, you're a dirt ball, right? <laughs> It's, he is not actually a dirt ball. That is how he is, that's his pathway to intimacy because he connects in action. And she connects through the heart relationally, right? And when you understand that and you can start giving of yourself and, and, and working through, because which one's right? Sex is not intimacy, but it is a fostering agent of intimacy. So it's actually the way the lady is wired is probably closer to what's best because it's a fostering agent, but you gotta understand each other. This is part of 1 Corinthians 7, 3, where the, the husband gives the rights to the woman, the woman gives the rights to the man, and you are self-giving. Sex is not about yourself, it's about the other person. And once you realize it, this is the danger of pornography, y'all, because pornography is about me, it's about instant gratification, it's about being lazy and not connecting to my wife. It's easier to go and look on a computer than to connect with my wife because she connects relationally and that's harder. But for me, it's easy to go into the room and connect with this, this, this false image and then be done. That's why it's so dangerous, right? Multiple reasons why. Here's another reason why, young guys, listen to me, and gals. Another reason pornography is so dangerous is because it, it fosters a lie that the lady is connected physically like you are. Because in, in pornography, it's always physical. 
It's always physical. And, and, and the way she is wired up in reality is to connect relationally. So if you go into marriage thinking she's just going to be, you know, I'm going to come home and be like, yeah, look at me. I'm like Hulk Hogan. And she's going to be like, get out, of my, get out of here. She connects relationally. And so you can have all these false expectations. And when expectations don't meet reality, there's what? Frustration. There's all sorts of damage done by pornography in this country. Huge, huge Right? But understand there's different playbooks. Under, this is why love and respect is so good. Right? This is where this book is, is super valuable. Because ladies, you are, connected, you are created to be cherished and loved. That's why husbands are commanded to do what? Love your wives. But wives, you're not commanded to actually love your husbands. You know why? Because he's not created that way. He's created to need respect. So it's commanded to respect your husband. So men have this, in the book language uses a respect tank. Ladies have a love tank, and your goal is to fill the love tank, fill the respect tank. And when you do, if when you feel respected, men, you will respond love. And when she feels love, she will respond with respect. And it's just what he calls the energizing cycle. And it's all based on Ephesians 5, the commands that Paul says, ladies, respect your husbands, husband, love your wives. Right? It's just how you're wired. Understanding the difference on the playbook, Huge. Second thing is this, we need to be super gracious with each other because this is such a vulnerable issue and difficult and there's wounds and baggage and there's been brokenness that, that we need to own that. And, there's, and then when you have kids and you know what that's like and then there's biological issues and all sorts of struggle here because we live in a fallen world. But when we can start talking about that with each other and connecting on a deeper level and owning and coming out of the dark and maybe even getting help, we got pastors on staff, some of our community group leaders are rock stars. It's just kind of walking through. If you're a man and you, have, you just have struggles with some things, we got a group of guys that's just meeting for this series at 6.30 in the, in the evening in the coffee area. Just come on by. Whatever it is. But come out of the dark and, and don't, it's okay to not be okay. It's not okay to stay there and, and get help. Figure it out in community. How do we navigate that? How do we work through these things? But we need to be gracious because you're not, it's not going to be an overnight thing. It's a process of sanctification, right? Let me speak directly to the men, and then I'll speak to the ladies, and then we'll worship. Guys, a couple things. Number one, for you to be pressuring, for you to be forceful and manipulate your wife sexually is so outside of the will of God for you that you are damaging not only your own self, but your, your marriage and your family. It is not God's will for you. Do not, do not try to use Scripture to validate your sin. Well, 1 Corinthians 7, 3 says, no, no, no. Jesus loves his church and cherishes her and nurtures her and cares about her purity and loves her like he loves himself. You're just loving yourself when you're trying to be manipulative. It's, it's sin and it's brokenness and it needs to be turned from. And, and on the flip side, don't be a pouty, whiny, my wife never met you. Yeah, your wife finds that really attractive when you're walking around whining and pouting. Yeah, you're hot when you're pouting, honey. Man, I guess me just, so excited. There's nothing sexy about a whiny dude, right? I'm just saying. Right? And so th those are some clear things. But let me, the goal for you guys, if I can say one thing, is that you are to be the pursuer. It is your job to lead romantically. Even in 20, 30 years, in the, and, your, and your bride needs you to. And there's a thousand reasons why you can stop. Kids, job, tired, this. But it's your job to stop being passive because men lead courageously and reject passivity and pursue your wife physically and romantically. Let me, let me just kind of share how Solomon does it. Love this. Solomon chapter 7. 
How beautiful are your feet. He's talking to his bride. It's after the honeymoon. This is marriage is going on. How beautiful are your feet and sandals, a noble daughter. Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master's hand. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is a heap of wheat. I wouldn't use that one. <laughs> That's very cultural, honey. You, your belly's like a heap of wheat, baby. Woo! Lilies? Okay. You can, you know, there's a couple in here I wouldn't use. So you can steal some of them. Your two breasts are like fawns, twins of a gale. Some of you hunters are like, whoa, you know, your neck is like a ivory tower. Your, your eyes are pools of Heshbon by the gate. Your nose is a tower of Lebanon, another not good one. <laughs> your head of crumbs. But he walks through. And if you go all the way to verse seven, what you see is he starts at her feet and works up to her head. He ends with her teeth. He's got this weird thing about teeth. Like three or four times in Song of Solomon, he mentions her teeth. One time he's like, you have all your teeth. I'm like, that's good. She got a big one missing right now here. But, but what, is he do, what is he showing? He is trying to woo her into intimacy. He is letting her know how he feels about her. And we don't even know what she looks like. Right? You could say, oh, she sounds like the most beautiful thing in the world. Maybe. But, but we really don't know that. What we do know is that she is beautiful to him. And he, and he is telling her, your nose is like Pinocchio is so good, right? I mean... <laughs> But he's, he's affirming her, and what does she, she feels wanted. No matter what she looks like, she cannot help but feel beautiful. Because you know how he feels. And your bride, especially as she gets older and there's kids and there's tired and I come 40 hours of work and I got, she needs to feel that you cherish and love. And so verbal declarations are huge. Honey, your hair looks great. I love it when you wear those, those jeans, right? Thank you, thank you for, for making this dinner, and, and, and let's go out later. It's dating your wife. In fact, I, I, bought, I, read, I bought a book just this week, Gary Chapman, it's not up here yet. Um, it's 52 uh, creative ideas for dates, all right? And I'm going to kind of try to take some of these and, and use them. But it's, it's, it's pers- continuing the pursuit, verbally declaring her goodness. We, we're so good about identifying our weaknesses in each other, right? Uh, it's... We know what we need to improve on. How about identifying strengths? That's big. Showing affection to your spouse when you're not trying to manipulate. I mean, just affection for the sake of affection, men. Coming up and rubbing her shoulders, not thinking, okay, later on. Just love it. It's cherishing. Freeing her up from being a mom. That's so hard. I know, ladies. I mean, when, when, when all you're doing all day long is kids, 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 it's freeing your wife up. Maybe it's letting her go out with the ladies. Maybe it's taking her away for a week. I don't know. You got to be creative. I'm telling you, I'll, this, this little book right here, he's got a chapter in here. It's the, it's the most convicting chapter outside the Bible I've ever read. Um, it's called Learning, Leading, and Loving, chapter 20, page 27. He gives some great ideas. I mean, I don't, he's either the best husband in the world or a liar or both. But the things he does, I mean, just take one of them. But he is, it's like, a, what he is is a student of his wife. He does stuff unbelievable. Just start those things. And again, I'm, I'm not talking from expertise. If my wife was here, she said he is not an expert. I promise you. I failed miserably in a lot of these areas. But I, after studying and thinking about this, I really, I want to do better at being pursuing. It is your job. You are called to lead. That doesn't mean, ladies, you're just kind of passive in this thing and romance, but you are the leader in your home, man, and you're to pursue your bride. Jesus pursues his church. Right? You need to do it. You need to take care of yourself. I mean, some of you guys, you know, if you still got lint in your belly button from last season, 
Of course, what do you expect? She's not going to be warm to you. Take a shower, dude. Get a haircut. Shave. I mean, it's not everything. We're, I mean, it's a losing battle, but you're, you, you, want, you want to be attractive for your spouse, right? It's, it's a good thing. It's not bad. Be friends. Create safe environments for her to flourish. Be honest if you struggle about stuff. It's, it's, it's a way to be friends. Connect at the heart. Connect at the heart. Aim at the heart, right? And actively, actively fight lust. Men, you have to fight lust constantly, right? Solomon says, he, 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 he encourages his son, be, rejoice in your, in your wife. He's going to later after this verse say, don't let your, your streams go out into the river, into the road. He said, no, in your wife, pursue your wife, enjoy your wife. And, and, and you, if all this energy that God has given you to pursue, you pour it out on your bride. Don't, you know, not this little flirty relationship with the secretary, a little wink and a smile. Not this little internet deal. Because every time you bleed that energy away from your bride, you're stealing from her. And your intimacy is crumbling. Pour it out on your bride. Guard your heart. Guard your eyes. Guard it all. Right? Young folks, if you're single, don't be pouring out, pouring out your passion towards, towards somebody that's not your bride. It's someone else's wife, someone else's husband, until you're married. Yeah, be intoxicated with her, with him. You got to, the, the dangers of pornography, y'all, and all these other things that bleed off, it's just, it's so devastating. And it's in our church, it's rampant, it's hidden, some of it. But the goal, guys, men, is pursue, touch your wife's heart before you touch her body. That's the idea. And if you have, if you have the courage to do it, ask her. Ask her the question. Maybe not today. Give it 24 hours. Right? Say, hey, do you feel, do I make you feel beautiful? Do I make you feel cherished? That's hard questions. But, but and, and wives, graciousness, right? They're not going to be done one tomorrow, right? But we want to see the fire rekindled, and this is the way to do it. Ladies, I'll, I'll, it's a couple things, all right? If, if you have a, a love tank that needs to be filled, the men have a respect tank. Look at what Solomon's bride says to him. I love this. My beloved is radiant and ruddy. Not the movie, a ruddy, depending on how you pronounce it. He's red, he's, he's redhead. He's distinguished among 10,000. What is she saying? He's the, he's the man. He stands out, right? And she's going to hit some of his you know, physical characteristics. His head is the finest gold, locks are black and raven. His eyes are like this. His cheeks are like beds of spices, right? But she is, she's affirming who he is, right? She's bragging on him. And as... as, as you have a, a, a love tank that needs to be filled. He has a respect tank. And she is bragging on him. She closes at the end. She says, this is my beloved. This is my friend, O oh daughters. And she's talking about how his arms are rods of gold, man. He's got guns, right? He's, his legs are alabaster. Kind of, he's got thunder thighs. He's just strong. He stands above everyone else, right? He's desirable to her, but he's just, he's special, He's to be respected and honored. And he, you could just see his shoulders just kind of like rolling back when she's bragging on him. And she bra she's bragging publicly. This is who my man is, right? This is who my man, she wants him. Your husband needs to know that you want him. In fact, I, I was reading some, some, just some things out there and uh, there's a, a lady, Christian writer named Shanti Feldman. She has a book that's for women only, it's called. I didn't read it because it's for women only, but I got some stats out of it, all right? But... Um, <laughs> She said, one of the, she did a survey of men, and 97% of men, more than the amount of, of, of sex that they want, they want to be wanted. The desire is higher to be wanted than, than more, more prevalent by their wives, right? 
Wives, you have the unbelievable power of the emotional and intellectual well-being of your husband. So you, you want to make him feel respected and honored. You want him to feel wanted, whatever that looks like. Even in, in chapter 7, right after Solomon talks about her, he, she talks about him. She says, come, my beloved, let us go out into the fields, lodge in the villages. This crazy woman. She wants to go outside and let us go out early to the vineyards and see whether the vines have budded, whether the grape blossoms have opened, pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. She's inviting. She's playing the game. Right? She's encouraging the chase a little bit. We're going to go outside. I'm going to give you my love. Right? It's going to be a good day. Right? I'm not saying you have to do this. I'm just telling you what she did. And your husband needs to feel encouraged in that way, that there's a little bit of a chase. And there's a, that's, that encourages him to pursue whatever that looks like. Encourage him with success. Because the male ego is fragile. We're a bunch of, we're a bunch of wimps. That's why this, you know, the sixth grade dance, right? You know, all the guys and the girls and the one guy, the little brave dude comes out in the middle and he gets shot down and no one dances the rest of the night because no one's getting, you know? That's the way it is because the male ego is fragile. He needs to be respected and cared for. You need to take care of yourself too. I mean, we're all fighting that losing battle. But we want to both, it's about the other person. My wife says, I like it when your hair is this way. Guess what? I'm going to wear it that way. Right? I like it when you wear this kind of shirt. Okay, I'm going to wear that kind of shirt. Because I, I want to be that for her. Because it's about her. All right? And, and so it, it's, it's, it's both and. But if you can come down to nothing else, if he feels respected, he is going to respond with love. If she feels love, she's going to respond with respect. And there's going to be intimacy. It's going, it's going to be there. And we can work at other things, but it's going to happen. If we would just start, one of us say, I know I feel in love, but I'm going to be respectful. Or I know I feel disrespectful, I'm going to respond in love. If one of us would get off that crazy cycle and start pursuing that, we would see some, some neat things in our marriages, right? And that's what God desires for us. But understand, if nothing else, that God is for you in this. He's for your pleasure in this. He's for intimacy in this. He's given it as a gift. It's, it's, he wants us to follow his blueprint, right? We want to be one women men. One women women. One men women. Not one women women, right? We guard our, ha- guard our hearts, guard our eyes. Singles, we want to we wanna guard the marriage bed, right? Guard it. Protect it. And if he failed, and, and the room is filled with failures, right? Filled. But understand this, and this is where Clinton will come next week. But that no one here has outsinned the grace of God. Nobody. No one here has been so far off that they are beyond God's grace and when there's repentance and when there's confession and we bring this into the light, there can be, there can be growth, there can be, there can be cleansing, there can be white clean, there can be a restarting. That's what, we're, that's what we're doing this series. It's not so we can be, you know, cool and hip and talk. We want to see healing. I want to see joy. I want to see marriages, people enjoying themselves well into their 70s and 80s. That's what we want, right? And that's why Jesus came, that you might have life and life abundant. So if you're like, man, I'm a train wreck. I'm a 22-year-old. I have train wreck. It is not too late for you. If you're 52, you're like, ah, I have train wreck. It is not too late for you. Now, if you're just going to stand and hide, we can't help. So come talk to us. Come, come meet with one of our pastors. Go talk to your community group leader. Or get a bunch of guys. Go on 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday. Whatever. Come get prayer. But don't hide. It's the worst thing you can do. Right? Jesus offers redemption and reconciliation. He offers a better way. That's his heart for you us. Let's pray. Let's stand as we do and we'll worship. Father, I just ask for you to move and reconcile and redeem and do what you do. Uh, Help us to
just be honest of where we're at. We thank you that Christ's substitute father is sufficient for all sin um, and that you, you took the Corinthians and said, you were this, but now you were this. You were cleansed, you were, you were glorified, you were justified because of Christ. And that's what we all are. So I just pray that we would be moving towards confession, repentance, and, and holiness, Lord. Uh, and, and we would come to continue to believe that you are for us, not against us. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.